I mean, we kind of expected to win everything, every time, always. And so when you didn't, it was kind of, it was hard, you know, and, and it, unfortunately there wasn't a whole lot of that, but you know, there's tough stuff to, to get to that level of expectation. There's tough stuff, right? And if you don't love it, it's going to be really hard. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is Bill Zadick, the national coach for Team USA, who just won the world championships. Coach Zadick was an NCAA champ for the University of Iowa in 1996, and then a world champ in 2006. After retiring in 08, Coach Zadick joined the national team staff and was named head coach in the summer of 2016. Love this conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. Fan of the week goes to our friend Joel and Sandy Riddle, who listen to this podcast en route to the University of Central Missouri to watch their sons wrestle. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. We greatly appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Spartan Combat, who's now accepting custom team apparel orders for this upcoming season. Go to SpartanCombat.com to place your order for custom warm-ups, singlets, and shirts. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Bill Zadick. Bill Zadick, welcome to the podcast, sir. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Glad to be here. Now, let's start with, just want to congratulate you on the World Championship. Your first year, 2017, you guys won the world title. What does this one look like compared to 2017, and where have you seen Team USA grown since then? Um, well, it's, it's, uh, it's always super exciting when you can – uh, be involved with uh, a, a championship level team. Uh, and, you know, I was fortunate to uh, have been in a, a program with coach Gable and, and uh, saw how he um, led a program in, in, you know, also a bunch of other successful coaches. And, and when you, when you reach a pinnacle of what the team event or the team um, concept of the sport uh is uh, I think it's something to really be celebrated and valued and, and, and cherished. And, uh, and so um, when we won in 17, I was super excited. It was, uh, you know, obviously my first year as a head coach, but that was an event that was a long time coming. You know, I was on staff for, um, you know, many years prior to that, uh, you know, started in January of 2009. And so um, up to 2017, you know, we're talking, uh, a long time, right? Almost 10 years. And, uh, it was a building process, uh, uh, you know, culture, um, team atmosphere, perspective, vision, um, a lot of things coming together. And, and the reality is we have, um, we have unique athletes. We have a, we have a group of, a group of generational athletes. And I think we're at a point where, um, we have these guys that grew up as kids looking at the next level. You know, they, they were international minded freestyle Greco folk style guys, their whole lives in, in looking to bigger and better things 
always in, in now, um, you know, we're at a point where uh, we have a whole bunch of them on the team, you know, and, and so winning, winning again, um, you know, it, it was really special. Um, you know, it was a great performance. Obviously there was a lot of markers made and, and I know, you know, people are going to talk, well, the Russians weren't there and this and that and the other, but, but I mean, look at the markers, right. This team was going to perform well, um, no matter who showed up and in, in, uh, you know, hopefully next year we'll, we'll maybe the Russians will be back in there and, and we'll see, you know, for us, we're likely to have a different team. We've haven't had the same team every year um, that I've been the head coach. There's always been, you know, and that's just the nature of the, of the game. But um, I think program wide, we have a lot of great uh, minds in our sport our college coaches and RTCs that work really hard, our athletes that love what they're doing and they're passionate and they're professional about it. And, and they, they make the right choices day in and day out. And, and so, uh, yeah, 20, uh, you know, 2022 is a pretty special year and, and, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty fun. Um, you know, just the fan in me of loving wrestling and being a part of this is is super exciting. Um, you know, the the wrestler, the competitor in me is, you know, hungry to win some more and, and do it again. And, and knowing that um, when you've done something, it's harder to do it the second and third and fourth times. And so we want to we want to keep innovating and and finding new ways to move forward and, and be successful and and uh yeah so it's a great uh first of all let me say getting up every morning to watch it was so much fun to watch your guys and they wrestle with just such great pace and man and i know it's it's you and all the other coaches but man it is exciting to watch and you look at this team you know you've had the the great teams of the 72 and 76 era right unbelievable teams mid 90s great teams this era you know, it's we're going to see a lot of change in 2024. So 17 to now, it's like, you know, I love hearing you talk about how you have the potential to be one of these great teams. And like, we're watching them solidify themselves in history as we speak. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and even as you say that, right. And you kind of, uh, I've used the same references, the same teams and the, and the men and, and athletes that were on those teams um, who are gone on to be leaders in our sport and leaders in society. And, but even just the timing, you know, I, I kind of find those things interesting. So you had, you know, roughly 20 to 25 years from the seventies to the nineties team, roughly about that same amount of time from then till now. And is it some kind of uh, you know, I don't know that it means anything, right. But is there some kind of cyclical thing that, can can be learned from that i don't know but you know we'll 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 dig into it and, and see if there's you know any any correlations there we're going to try to try to duplicate for sure but um yeah these these guys um they're a great team and they're fun to work with and it's fun um you know it, it's like i kind of said earlier is it's really fun when you have a culture of thought. We have a bunch of unique individuals, but we have a similar um, uh, culture of thought in in how they want to approach things. And e there's even you know a lot of idiosyncratic differences, but I think there's a similar passion and a similar hunger to be successful and to find excellence. And even though it's different in every person. And so that's really fun and really unique and challenging. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how this team shapes out the rest of this squad. And if uh, you know, I guess it will be folks like yourself that will look back and say, well, yeah, this team matches up to those other eras or, or, or not, you know? Well, what I love about this team is that it's guys doing it three times, four times in the same team. Like that's just so rare to have one of those, like, you know, like, like a Kevin Jackson, a three timer. There's so many now in the same team. And it's like, you go into these tournaments just with such high expectations. It's a lot of pride because, you know, it hasn't always been that way. There's been some up and down years, but really re recently it's been awesome. And, you know, you think back to all the coaches you've been involved with the brands, the Gables, Sergey, 
What about Mark Sprague though? Tell me about tell me about the, this guy and how this relationship started. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, we don't have enough time to talk about Mark Sprague honestly, <laughs> for the rest of this hour. But um, how'd you get introduced to him? So uh, I started wrestling in Montana. I was about five years old, and my dad um, obviously was my coach and kind of led me. Um, you know, my dad had wrestled and started late in life and he, he fell in love with it. Right. Was really passionate. And, and to this day, um, you know, I don't know anybody that is as passionate as my father has been, um, in, in intensity, even coach Gable, coach Gable's intensity was a little bit different than, than my father's. Um, but my, my dad really loved it. And one of the things that he knew is he didn't know everything and one of the one of the great characteristics that he gave to us, my brother and I, but but all the athletes that he coached was this hunger for learning. And so when I was getting started and started showing some aptitude and 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 desire, you know, to have fun and be good at it, we started finding better people around us. And and one of those uh, families was the Campbell family. Denny and Susan Campbell that are dear friends of ours to this day. Um, they have six children and they have four boys and, and two girls. And the, and the, and the two gals might, might've been the toughest and had they, <laughs> had they wrestled, um, you know, had they had the opportunity back then, they, who knows what they would have been, but, but each of the sons was state champions, um, two of them were four time state champs. The two younger sons were Matt Campbell, so Tom is the oldest and then Fritz and then Matt and TJ and Matt and TJ were both um, four-time state champs. And so uh, they were like the fifth and sixth state champs in four-timers in Montana history. And I became the seventh and they were like older brothers to me and TJ, especially um, he was five years older than I am. And uh just an older brother figure. And along with them was this other gentleman, Floyd Bond. And Floyd was uh, originally from Michigan, but had wrestled on the senior level. And, uh, and then was in Montana teaching school and he got connected with the Campbell family. And so then when I was getting started, I got connected with all of them. And, and then they're just have become my own family, you know, for Mike and I, and, and my parents and, and my, my sisters too, you know, they're just, um, so through the Campbell family and Floyd and, and these guys, um, that's how I got connected with Mark Sprague and his family. And so Mark, uh, senior and his wife, Alfie, um, they have, uh, let's see, they got five kids, right? So they got uh, three daughters. and Oh, no, they got they have six. They have four daughters and two sons. So they have six kids also, but kind of the reverse of the Campbell family. But one of their, one of their sons, um, their oldest son, Marky, uh, Mark Jr., and Matt Campbell are the same age. And they're like two peas in a pod. They were like both little guys, both um, – just absolutely phenomenal talents and wrestlers. And, and so I'm, I'm going to, this, this brief little story that I can tell about coach Sprague, Mark Sprague, um, you know, all these gentlemen kind of became uh, second fathers to me, you know, and, and uh, Denny Campbell and, and Floyd even, and, and uh, some others, you know, Jabby Young and his family, um, Mark Sprague. So Mark never wrestled a match in his life. And as Marky was growing up, he got involved in wrestling and he, he lost a match. And then Mark senior, of course, became the, just a stereotypical monster parent and just vowed, you know, basically I've heard him tell this story probably 30 times and never once has he not cried telling the story because that's how, you know, impactful. And even now he's, you know, in his late seventies, he's still coaching. He still does an amazing job. Um, Why does he cry it, about it? Well, I think because of uh, the, the monster parent factor, right? He, the, the, the problem, the, the negative about the monster parent or the monster coach 
is that it works, but it works only short term. And and he found that out and it drove him to, you know, be obsessive and, and really, you know, I think it hurt the re relationship. The way he tells the story, obviously I wasn't around at that those times, but that it damaged the relationship that he had with his own son. And, and if you can't get through this thing and, and your son or your daughter or your, your child be your, your best friend, you know, um, at the same time, then, then maybe you're doing it wrong. And so I think that struggle really changed his perspective. And when I came around, um, I think he had already changed it. He already realized that and had made adjustments and, and, you know, I know he has a strong relationship with his children, but it's an ongoing process. Right. And I think I was me and hundreds of other kids were the benefactors of that misstep. And, and what I would say about Mark Sprague is that he, I've never met a more loving, caring person as far as the people he interacts with and not just about the wrestling. He's, he's super passionate about the sport of wrestling and he's very analytical. He's, he's a visionary, um, you know, he's a really good businessman, was very successful in the business world in several different ventures. You know, he owned a marina in Portland, Oregon. He he had a health club, and that, that's kind of where he ra uh, ran the USA Oregon was the name of the health club. And then the Cobras, you know, it was USA Oregon was really the thing, and the S was the Cobra. And then later, it just became the Cobras. But really innovative, like marketing mind right so he he had custom made like warm-up outfits and singlets he was the first person that i know of um that was using spandex lycra singlets you know shiny fabric and you know fitted stuff and so you know back when i was wrestling in starting in those days it was like you wore a a low-cut you know, low on the sides and high in the thigh. So it was like, you know, it's about that wide on the side, right? And you wore these singlets and and they were reversible, right? They're cotton singlet. And if you were really cool, you might've gotten an old school wool singlet from Europe that, you know, the iron, all these countries behind the Iron Curtain in the former Soviet republics and whatever wore these wool singlets. And some of them even had a button, like they had one strap, you know, it kind of looked like a Tarzan suit. And then the other strap would button over your shoulder kind of deal. And that was like, that was, a, that was extremely exotic. But Mark was the first guy and an innovative guy that was really putting together a really cool uniform. And if you went to this camp, that was an invite only thing you got, you know, I mean, it was expensive. You had to pay whatever you pay to get, but you got this uniform. And so I was at, Denny Campbell's camp was in Haver, Montana, which is, we call it the high line up North, right next to the Canadian border. It's windy and cold. And, and, uh, and Denny is just a tough person. He just, he, he's a remarkable individual, but so his camp was called Campbell's junkyard dogs. And I was at that camp and because they had the connection with Mark Sprague, you know, I think Floyd, you know, kind of had his feelers out and he saw something in me and asked me, Hey, if you uh, had a chance to go to USA, Oregon, would you go? And I was like, heck yeah. And it was cause I wanted the singlet, you know, I wanted you, <laughs> I, I didn't care about the wrestling. I just wanted right. that uniform. And, uh, and so I started, I, you know, he must've talked to Mr. Sprague and, and they extended the invitation to me. And so I started going, I was eight years old the first year I went to the camp and, and then I went every year, it was a two week long camp and the camp was, you know, it was really good. It was intense and tough, but it was innovative. And, and I mean, you know, we did, we did one hour sessions with like a five or 10 minute break and it basically started at 7am and ended at 6pm. Whoa. <laughs> and then you had like, we had like an hour and a half for lunch, you know? So, but all morning, the morning you'd go in and warm up and run around and, you know, that took 45 minutes or an hour. And then we do good news and everybody would 
it wasn't mandatory, but if you guys had run out there and share good news and and then you would do you would do two Greco technique sessions and a conditioning session. So one group would go out and run, the other one would be in one of the rooms doing technique. There was two wrestling rooms. So there one in one group, one in another, then they reverse, you do the other session. Then the third one, you'd go run and, you know, so you'd kind of rotate out. And then the last hour of the morning, you would do, you we'd wrestle live. And we, then we'd take a break. And then uh, we'd come back from uh, lunch. And the first 30 minutes, we did this, uh, we did this mental program that was called Making of a Champion. And it was all about just, you know, motivational stuff and goal setting and overcoming adversity and you know zig ziggler zig ziggler music yeah. stuff like that i mean really innovative and really light years ahead of his time as far as um introducing people to successful formulas not didn't matter if it was wrestling or if it was another sport or whatever it was and but like i said he was an innovative guy and he was innovative technically i mean he really studied it and uh, and he wanted to be successful and he wanted to give the kids that came through that program, he wanted to give them the tools to go on and, and do things. And, and because of that, and because you knew he cared about you, um, you had a ton of confidence. And, you know, I, I know some of my best friends, um, you know, Joe, that's Joe's club. And that's where Joe Russell came from. Um, that's where Matt Lindland came from. That's where Oscar and Isaac Wood came from. That's where Anthony Amato trained. I mean, you know, in like the eighties and nineties, it was like the who's who of wrestling. And, uh, and even when I was going there as campers, you know, you had like, um, just the who's who from around the country, you know, I, I remember being there as a young kid and I, it's funny cause at about at the ballpark this past year, we're down on the field and the teams are wrestling. It's kind of, we were done and the college dual meet still was going on and I'm standing there and, and I bump into Chris Barnes, you know, home state NCAA champion, 177 pounder. And I don't, you're, I don't know. Corey Bays. Remember? Yeah. So Chris Barnes was at this camp. Corey Bays was at this camp. Kendall Cross was at this camp. I mean, there was like this Oklahoma connection, right? So like there was really some stars around this program you know, um, now when you guys were out there, were you aware of the Peninsula Park rivalry with Cobra oh yeah. USA? Yeah, yeah. They would come over and we would train together. So did you ever get your hands on Bobby Janice? Yeah, I used to wrestle with Bobby. Yep. Yeah, he and I, he and I were about the same, he and I were about the same size and uh, he was a year older than me. And then I had a, a friend from my hometown uh, Bobby Young, who's his father, Jabby, and his his mother, Janie. So Jabby and Janie are uh, a couple that have become really good friends of ours. They had three boys that wrestled um, same times as Mike and I. So Bobby was a year older than me, then Dustin, then Jesse. Jesse was two years older than my brother, Mike. So we all were on the circuit together. And Bobby Young and Bobby Janice both went to Arizona State together. And then after, um, you know, Bobby Janice's passing, Bobby Young left. They were actually pretty close friends on the team down there, and it was a pretty hard situation for him. So, but yeah, what, what kind of yeah, a talent he, was Bobby Janice back in high school? He was a freak. He was, <laughs> yeah, he was good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there was like, uh, um, the Naradkas, Dave and Glenn Naradka. They're they are a year older than me. They were Peninsula Park guys. Um, Bobby Janice, um, myself. I'm really good friends with Oscar Wood, who, but Oscar was a little bit younger than us. He wouldn't have been probably wrestling in the same groups of like shark bait and stuff like that. There's another guy named Dan Vidlack, who's little, he's Cuban descent, but Dan Vidlack was like, he's probably four, maybe four or five years older than us, but he's a little guy. So we'd get to wrestle with him, but I mean, he was just like, I'm like, how do people get this strong? <laughs> I'm never going to get to be that strong. And so sometimes that was like our group, right? We'd be 
we would do live wrestling and shark bait and it would be like the Naradkas and Bobby Janice and myself and um a couple wow. other guys and yeah Bobby was uh yeah he was he was great he was he was phenomenal he was he was as good as everybody says he was yeah I mean then you also had Joe Russell I mean like so like this this era is it's a great era for wrestling coming out and the less gutches of course yeah um and those yeah. Portland State teams won Division Two nationals all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, Dan Joe's brother, right, went to Portland State, and he was the last when they changed that rule that allowed the you know if mm-hmm. you were, I don't know if they allowed NAIA, but I know they let the D three guys go to D twos and D twos up to D ones if you won the nationals, right? You could, and uh, but Dan at Portland State was the last. D2 athlete that was allowed to wrestle D1s and and uh yeah I mean phenomenal wrestler right phenomenal um program and and all of that was uh Mark Sprague's um that's his his brainchild right and and his you know his two boys were great wrestlers Marky the older one and then Matt the younger one we used to call Matt Digger um, and a lot of, a lot of us, I, I don't, I haven't talked to Matt in a while, but when my father passed away two years ago, Matt came, um, to pay his respects and, and, and I see him on, you know, social yeah. media and stuff like that. But a lot of us from that area st- era still call him digger. And that's another conversation for another time. But so you mentioned something really interesting that Mark Sprague, the founder, owner, creator of Cobra, his son, Marky, you know, was a, you know, real technician, kind of like a, he was like a taskmaster and a damages relationship. When you look at you and your father, your father was very hard on you. Were you guys bordering on that or did you, how did you guys maintain oh, a good balance? You know, I, I think, yeah, my dad was, he was, uh, he was tough, no doubt. And he pushed, but I think, uh, and I can't speak for, for Mr. Sprague and Marky cause I wasn't in the relationship. I just heard the story. Right. And, and I know Mark Jr., um, you know, he's quite a bit older than I am, but I've been around him, and and, and he's a great guy, phenomenal guy. Um, and, and, you know, statistically, he was like, he's a freak, right? He was like a seven-time age group world champion. I think they lied about his age a couple of times to get him into the schoolboy world. I mean, but the thing with when our father for Mike and I is that um, – I never questioned if my father loved me, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying that Mark and Marky did. I'm just saying for me, that's what carried me through the tough stuff. Right. When, you know, I mean, we kind of expected to win everything every time always. And so when you didn't, it was kind of, it was hard, you know, and, and unfortunately there wasn't a whole lot of that, but, but you know, there's tough stuff to to get to that level of expectation. There's tough stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you don't love it, um, it's going to be really hard, right? It, it's you you can't. I mean, it's shaped. It certainly has shaped my philosophy as a national coach, and it certainly did. Um, these experiences and things shaped my philosophy about developmental wrestling. For sure, because there was a lot of great things. And how do you how do you accumulate the collection of great things and push those forward in the best possible way while still fostering the most positive attitude or um, self-reflection within the sport? You know, I think a lot of times because our sport's hard, um, how we introduce athletes to the sport of wrestling um you know, we, we have a, I, I learned this on the, on the business side of things. Once I started working here is that, you know, USA wrestling, that, well, I think we've addressed some of these issues and that's why we're growing at, at a very good rate. We, we annually set membership records because we tried to do some things to address these, but we, early on, we had a terrible attrition rate, right? We'd lose 30 to 40 percent of our membership each year and so there was some market market research done you know um rich and les when les came in and from his business background 
and analyze why these things are. And it's the same things that we all know, right? Well, you know, there's, you have two six-year-olds or let's say you have two 12-year-olds and one's been wrestling for six years and the other one's a far better athlete, but he just started and there's really no contest, right? Because mm-hmm. we have a, a technically deep um, sport and, and that kid just doesn't have a chance to catch up. And then competitions are really long, right? It takes all day. You know, so this 12-year-old goes to one competition and he gets his butt whipped and it takes all day for that to happen and it blows the whole family weekend, right? So um, those are kind of symptoms of what I think we saw, you know, in years ago when you had this, you had great work ethic and great toughness, um, but it just needed some balance. Yeah. I think for us, you know, it's a struggle, right? You, you kind of cross the lines each direction to find find where that center is. And I know for my brother and I, um, we had different paths, you know, through the sport. And but we had the same information. We had the same parents. We had, and and talking about it, um, you know, it was when somebody's switch kind of flips on, can be a different time of of their life and and us knowing that our parents loved us unconditionally and that was the most important thing. And so, you know, some of us turn on earlier and some of us turn on later. Um, But yeah, I think, I think that relationship um, is the, the parent approval of their, of their child is, is the biggest, most important um, relationship in a kid's life. And, and, you know, I was, I was really um, pleased to hear uh, several years ago, probably five, six years ago, when I was a developmental coach, I heard Kale um, speak about it. And, and he's obviously experienced some tremendous pressures in his career, you know, maybe not from his parents, but, you know, just through what he's accomplished and understands those things that like, you know, if a if a athlete or um child is is doing something that they think is vying for their parents' approval and their parents' love, man, it's that's a huge burden. It's a huge burden. And so anyways. It's interesting. No, no, it's interesting because we when I was growing up, I grew up in the Quad Cities. And yeah. I was in middle school when the season came out, the ESPN show. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, and your parents yeah, were stars of that show. I I'll never forget yeah. your dad's um dealership and they had the rope in the middle of it. Yeah. It, so is that that's all true you guys were doing that early age yeah, climbing I, the rope? Oh yeah, I climbed that rope. I mean, by the time I graduated high school, I probably climbed that rope several thousand times. I mean, I climbed it 10 times a day pretty much every day. So, I mean, like maybe morning not- or after practice yeah, or no after school i'd 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 come i'd go there i mean that dealership was like a second home to to us i'd go after school i'd go over there hit the rope 10 times hang around you know screw off drive the golf cart around the dealership and try to try to ramp it off a jump you know we'd take a piece of plywood and lay it over a railroad try and try to you know jump this thing off this ramp and you know <laughs> never, never had enough uh torque to get over we get high centered on the top you know but yeah yeah we we climbed that rope a lot and then when mike uh when mike you know got to i don't know when he started doing it i don't know when i started doing it but yeah we climbed it a lot and there's so many stories we're not gonna be able to hit on like the one summer you guys put twenty six thousand miles on your van in like six weeks and you know like gable coming to town awesome but i want to get to iowa because yeah. You get to Iowa and there's some hammers in the lineup. I mean, absolute studs. So when you were a true freshman, like who were the starters at the 34, the 42, the 49, that era? Yeah. So our lineup, um, that was a year if, you know, if you saw the poster that says um, everybody was standing, you saw the backs of them. It says, and we're all back. We They had 10 returning all Americans and uh, there wasn't 10 in the lineup, but, Terry Steiner had beat out an All-American to make the team, so there was 10 returning. So it was uh, the starting 10 was uh, Chad Zapital, Terry Brands, Tom Brands, Troy Steiner, Terry Steiner, 
Tom Ryan, Mark Ryland, Travis Pfizer, uh, uh, excuse me, Bart Chelswig, then Travis Pfizer, and then John Osendorp. And so, Doug Stryker was out. <laughs> Doug Stryker was an All-American, and Terry had uh, had beat him out for the spot, and then Terry became an All-American. And, and uh, yeah, Doug and his brother Kent were on the team, his younger brother Kent. Um, I actually lost a wrestle-off to Kent, or lost a match, not a wrestle-off, a match in an open tournament my true freshman year. But, yeah, I mean, it was a great room. It was like – and then, you know, uh, Coach Cable was our head coach, Jim Zaleski, Barry Davis – um, and, uh, Royce was our strength, strength coach at the time, you know, and then, yeah, that was, so we were, that was our, yeah, it was remarkable, you know, it, obviously I wasn't at Iowa in other eras and other periods and, in Gable's tenure as the head coach, there were, you know, several different groups and cycles, but, you know, after they lost going for the 10th in a row, and then Gable rebuilt the program. The year I came in was the year after they won the first title back. And so I, I've kind of speculated that I might've come through that program in one of the best times to ever come through, you know, just because of Gable revamped his philosophy and it was a different. Um, it still fit within his intensity and his work ethic and all these other good things. But um yeah, we we had some great people around, and then after me, there was a bunch of other great athletes. You know, my class was probably me and Daryl Weber were the two standouts, but there was other Iowa homegrown kids like Matt Dickey, who was a great wrestler. And then you know, uh, the year after us was uh, Lincoln McRavey came in, and Lincoln and I had known each other from uh, youth wrestling, and so, you know, being a kid in the West and South Dakota and Montana. And and then you know Joe uh, Joe Williams and and uh, yeah, just it was a great Oof. time. Right? And you're so, touching on like that early '90s, '80s era with the brands and the Steiners and all those animals. Then you're also getting kind of like that mid '90s, the the great Lincoln Macrave, Joe Williams. I mean, Mark Ironside. I mean, some Ironside, of the, yeah, Mena. I mean, like yeah. I, I just I love those teams. Now, when you were there. Who was your like pack that you were on with? Were you hanging out with the Steiners? I mean, who was who were some of your guys? Yeah, I, I kind of hung out with. I, I mean, I guess I hung out with all of them. You know, I mean, uh, early on, um, you know, in the room, I remember wrestling. You know, like you always kind of like had this idea that you just pick the toughest guy every day, right? So, um, a week for me as a freshman was like. Tom Brands, Terry Brands, Chad Zappel, Troy Steiner, Terry Steiner, you know, like, right. I might rotate through those guys every day. And in a minute, I mean, man, that's a, that's a tough road to hoe for, you know, I, I think, you know, I feel like my freshman year, maybe first semester, I hardly scored many takedowns. Right. And you're like feeling like, well, I was pretty good. You know, I was four time state champ and national champ and all these other things. And, now I'm in a room where you're not hardly scoring many points and uh, it, it took, you know, it kind of makes you reevaluate things. And for a while I thought I didn't even know how to wrestle, but then why do you I, say that? Well, you know, you just, you're not, you're not getting the, the positive reinforcement in the room. Right. <laughs> and I realized, well, maybe I don't need to wrestle a national champ every day at practice. Maybe I can, you know, and, and I kind of, I kind of learned that, right. I learned how to train. I learned how to train myself. That was, that was one of the things that Gable, um, I was probably not very independent because I, I had, I had great leadership, but, um, I just kind of did whatever my father said, you know, and I always wanted to do it. So it was easy, but stepping out on your own, most kids have to make that adjustment when they go to college, but, um, something that Gable, talked about was being independent in knowing what to do. You know what to do. You don't need me standing there to tell you to do it. You just need to have the discipline to go to make that right choice. And so that was something that I really benefited from his leadership um, in that time. And, and 
And I also saw him coach the team differently each year. So that year, that team, he was really um, a loosely structured program. You know, a lot of times he would say, um, okay, warm up and get started on your own and I'll jump in at the end. And he would never jump in at the end. So what you would do is you'd, you'd warm up and drill with your, you know, get your own warm up. You'd drill until you're ready to wrestle live. And then you'd wrestle live and you, you know, there was kind of this standing, um, it was really an unspoken rule. I don't ever remember Gable ever saying this, um, but everybody in the room knew it. It was like, well, you take a break when your partner wants to take a break. I'm not going to take the break. He's <laughs> going to take the break. And so when you got a room full of guys like that, nobody's taking the break, right? So, you know, um, so, you know, you you would go out and wrestle 20, 30-minute, 45-minute goes. Sometimes I remember, you know, junior and senior years when Lincoln and I would wrestle quite a bit. Well, we would wrestle, and it would be like we'd have to notify each other like two weeks out because you'd have to mentally get prepared for a workout like that. Everyone right? from those teams say that. They go, this was something where you'd line up partners days in advance. Yeah. And, and a lot of times you just go in the day of and be like, Hey, you want to go? Yeah. Okay. But then as you got older, you got a little smarter too. And you knew like, this is okay. If, if Lincoln and I are going to wrestle today, it's going to be an hour and 20 minute go. Nobody's <laughs> going to take a break, you know? So, and he liked to drill a lot. I like to drill a lot. So we would probably warm up for 30 to 40 minutes and then wrestle. It, it was funny. Cause you'd wrestle a, a practice. You'd wrestle maybe an, hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes. The reason I say hour and 20, I remember one particular day where Lincoln and I wrestled an hour and 20 minutes straight. And then at the end of the go, we're both pretty exhausted. Right. And he's not admitting to taking the break and neither am I. So he walked off his way and I kind of walked off my way and we both kind of look over each other's shoulder and you kind of blame it on the other guy. Well, he must want a break. So I'm going <laughs> to, you know, it's kind of one of them. Yeah. Deals, right? And uh, so when, when, when you're older, I guess, well, older, meaning like upperclassmen, you know, junior, senior year, you've been through that for three years. You, you got to get mentally ready for that. You know, like, okay, Hey Lincoln, you want to wrestle? Yeah. Um, let's go next Tuesday. Okay, great. You know, we got this dual meet, we got whatever. And I we needed, you know, you learn that when you need those challenges and when you don't need those challenges and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. And so when you're like drilling like that, like Coach Gable or Zaleski, those guys aren't really around. It's just kind of like. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're there and they're they're coaching and they're giving input. They might pull you over and say, hey, Zadik, you know, um, why don't you adjust this lock right here? You need to be a little higher on the leg or. Or not, right? And so with a program like that, and kind of what I was getting to with Coach Gable is, man, you I mean, look at all those names. They're all, you know, they all have become leaders in the sport, right? In different eras. Um, you know, Chad Zapital, um, he grew up in the construction. His father was a contractor. He started a construction business in Iowa City, then he moved. He was doing some stuff in wrestling in MMA. Um Tom and Terry Brands, obviously head coaches, Troy Steiner, Terry Steiner, Tom Ryan, all head coaches. Uh, Mark Ryland was a state leader in Iowa forever. Um, his impact on our sport. Um, Travis Pfizer, the head coach at Grundy forever. Um, Shout out to my man Osendorf at Co. Love yeah, Coach O. Ozzy. Um, yeah, and and he's a head coach at Co. And and uh, and Bart, you know, Chelswig has coached at a high level, right? He was at Wisconsin for a while, and he's he's moved around in different jobs. So all of those guys were leaders. And so, what I love about Gable is that he did stuff unique to each person. Like the year Lincoln came out of redshirt, and he lost his first one, and there was like kind of like everyone's up in arms. And so Gable does the mock dual meets where he you know brings in the the crowd and all that. I mean, you were right in the thick of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I was. I got beat off the team. I mean, that's probably, I wasn't carrying my weight that freshman year. And that's why Lincoln got pulled. Really? So you were, okay. So you were in the lineup. 
I was I was a 34 pounder. Troy Steiner was the defending national champion at 142. And he moved down and beat me out so they could pull Lincoln. Wow. So oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. Powerful lesson. Powerful lesson. Yeah, Gable was um a mastermind at, you know, and, and that's that was really his hallmark is he figured people out and he figured out what made them tick. And he coached them each individually, but it still fit within his philosophy. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, you know, like Ray Brinzer. When Ray Brinzer transferred to Iowa, um, he's a little bit unique and a little eccentric. But but Gable found a way to make him successful. You know, the year he wrestled at Iowa, um, my junior, his senior year, he was zero and zero going into the big 10 tournament and he wins the big 10 tournament was third at the nationals. I think he lost to Kevin Randleman in a, in a really tight match. Wow. You know, but like, how, how does, how do you make that work? Right. Like Gable had to find a way and he did obviously to find a way to, to make Ray successful within that fit within Gable's philosophy. Yeah. And, you know, eventually your senior year, you, you're a two-time All-American, you're national champ, 96, a, a team champion as well. But I, I heard an interview you said where like the week afterwards, you're a little bit down on yourself that it didn't change your life, quote unquote. Like talk us through kind of like this self-reflection you had after you won the nationals and, and kind of getting a deeper meaning. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess, you know, when I graduated high school, I thought I was going to be a four-time national champ. And I, I think um, I could have been, I just, I didn't do the right things. Right. I didn't, I think I had the ability. I think I had the the skills even. Um, and I certainly learned a lot more, but um, I, so I finally, I finally win. Right. I was, I, I got hurt pretty seriously my junior year and, and, you know, my sophomore year, I was, I was, wrestling really well and and had a pretty good streak going and then I was ineligible and then my junior year Gable moved me up to 42 and um you know I kind of took some lumps during the year but I was really kind of hitting a hitting a stride and and uh I got I hurt in the Big Ten finals and so then that you know was a big setback and you know um I ended up being all-American but that certainly wasn't what I wanted out of those tournaments. And so finally winning felt like getting the monkey off my back, you know, like, okay, I, I won this thing. And, you know, um, but it didn't like revolutionize my life, you know, that in the way that I thought it might. Right. And, in uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's more of a faith, um, my own personal faith journey than, than really a wrestling thing. Um, but when, when I didn't, when I, when I, when I won and then it didn't revolutionize my life and, you know, I, nobody delivered me a mansion and a new truck and, you know, a supermodel and all that kind of stuff, right. You know, the material things that people think about, um, I was, I was already having kind of deeper questions about the meaning of life. And, and, uh, so yeah, it was, a that, like, that was another huge wake up call. Like, okay. No, this this thing doesn't change on its own. Um, if it's going to change, you're going to have to change it, right? If you if you want this, if you want this peace and joy about life, and that's really what I was trying to find. Um, I just didn't know what it, what the components were, and at that same time, um, yeah, I was. You know, God, uh, you know, I'm a believer. And so I, I, I just, the longer I live, the less I believe in coincidence. And God was putting the right people in my path to, you know, he was, he was reaching out for me. And, you know, Ken Klingman's one of those people. Coach Gable was certainly one of those people. My parents, the biggest people, because they were great leaders from a spiritual perspective in our own home. Um, but in that part of my journey, you know, Coach Gable, um, got me linked with John Peterson, Jonathan Peterson. And so then I started doing some national team tours and, and, and John, I think 
recognized a hunger in me for some answers. And then he came down to visit and kind of just laid it out for me. He's like, Hey, well, you know, what do, what do you think here? If, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And, and I'm thinking like, Oh yeah, maybe I, th I think I'm pretty good. You know, I got, I'm thinking on the scales of justice. Well, my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, <laughs> now I know that, you know, it's no, not even close, right. Not even close. My, my bad, I'm, my good is never going to outweigh my bad. And, uh, so that was, you know, but I guess, you know, that's the lessons you learn in both, in, in both setback and success is like, we've learned that same lesson winning, winning a team title for, you know, which is way more personally rewarding to, to win. Um, because it takes so many people, not only the 10 athletes, but it takes like, I mean, we're talking like 70 people. Mm -hmm. through the summer to have the same culture of thought and to all be pulling on the rope on the same end or pushing a bus from, you know, the same direction. And um, so those, those rewards of being able to do that together are so powerful, but you don't know that until you have success, right? And you don't have it. You're looking at it like, Oh man, the grass is always greener, right? Well, if I won this, I'd have, a better job and more money and a nicer house and all this stuff that it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And that's a big turning point for you. Ultimately, fast forward eight years later, you retire at University of Iowa and you head to Colorado Springs. And what was it about KJ that brought you out there? Well, kind of, kind of similar things. Um, you know, struggling through my international career and feeling like I was capable, but not getting the results that I wanted. And I needed to put myself in an environment where I could do exactly what I felt like were the right things. And what I knew about Kevin um, was that he was an intense competitor and I loved his um, his enthusiasm and, and he just, um, and now knowing him as well as I know him, um, you, you just see that, right. You see that it's, it's his personality, it's his character and he's a man of faith too. And, and, and we've all had our own journeys to, to get to where God has us. But that's what I recognize about Kevin is I knew Kevin, um, he wanted us to win. He wanted the United States to win. He wanted me personally to win. And and, and I loved his good, positive energy. You just feel great hanging around KJ. Like, you just, yeah. it's amazing, yes. you know? Yes. Um, and uh, so you come out there. At first, Sergey's your coach. What What's something you picked up from Sergey that was totally new to you? Because coming from Iowa, you had pretty much had the same medicine from, like, the early 90s up until that point. You know, I, I mean, I, I had actually, he'd come to Montana when I was in high school. And had done a done the Montana State High School Association Clinic, and I was I was part of that, so I was like super excited. Of course, knew who he was and his reputation. But when I moved out here, I was like, oh, I can't wait to just dig into technique and pick his brain and learn things, and and so that was fun for me. Um, but I think another thing that I learned from him was that you don't have to kill yourself every single day in order to find success. And so, and that was hard. That was really hard for me to swallow at first, you know, cause I had this, I mean, that was my own, you know, my own nature before getting to Iowa, right? That's how we did it growing up in Montana. That's how my father and I did it. You, you picked the, toughest guy or you did the hardest thing or you challenge yourself you know to the limit every single day to expand that boundary and there's a lot of value in that but there's also um, a time and place for knowing who you are and what you are and and not you know wearing it out and and so that was a, a big thing that I learned from him was you know it was okay for me to go in the room and 
spend 30, 45 minutes or an hour and a half, the whole practice, whatever, doing something at level six instead of level 10. And I still, um, I still got better that day or improved, you know? And so that was a big thing I learned from him. Last question for your coach is yeah. 2006 world champ, five matches in one day, just to let people know, like, what does it take to win the world championships in wrestling? Well, it, it takes tremendous consistency. It takes tremendous toughness. Um, like we've said, you know, in different parts of this interview, there there are hard moments when you're going to, when you, you know, we just came out of the 22 world championships and we had eight guys in the, eight guys in the finals. You know, I mean, it's remarkable. Um, but there are tough moments for every one of those guys, you know. And uh, so you, you got to be, you got to be present. You got to be able to be relaxed and make good choices in those moments. And that takes a lot of rehearsal. That takes a lot of, um, you know, once in a while, somebody probably wins a world championship because they're a really good athlete and they're pretty good, you know, and, and they just luck of, you know, it was their turn probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I'm, I'm a believer in, in possibilities. So I'll allow for that. I don't think it happens very much, maybe once in a decade, you know, I, I think that most of the time um, it's so competitive. It's so competitive that you got to be operating at a super high level um, to even be in that conversation, let alone to, to be within striking distance. And so, you know, I think in the 2007 worlds for, for Henry, he probably was in that conversation, but it wasn't, he wasn't consistent enough at that moment, right? Was he capable? For sure he was capable. And obviously he proved it the next year. Right. But I think that's probably something that he, he used to elevate himself over that year is, you know, in, in, uh, I would phrase it like this. There's a lot of us, or there's a lot of people that are capable of, of winning or accomplishing a certain thing. Um, anybody, anytime, but taking it to the next level is being able to do it to everyone every time. And that's, that's a remarkable level of intent and consistency. And, uh, and, and I, you know, for me, that's what it was. It was consistency. You know, I was a little bit older. I was 33 when I won the worlds and, uh, you know, keeping your body going and grinding through what you need to get through, you know, I went through some really tough stuff in January and February. I wrestled at Uregan and, you know, um, back then it was single elimination. I lost, it was done. And I lost to uh, Farniev. He, he got second at the tournament. Um, and then, uh, I flew home and wrestled in Schultz and I got beaten Schultz tournament and, and, and it wasn't that I wasn't capable of winning the tournament. It's just, but I probably needed that challenge at that moment to get, get me to the next place. Right. It wasn't about the Dave Schultz or the Uregan. It was about this other goal at the end goal. And it was a slow, it was a slow build. It wasn't, we weren't cramming for the test. There was something down in the future. And so then when you get to the world championships and I remember my last two matches um, in the morning round, um, I was being called up as I was walking off the mat. So it was like, okay, no, I'm, I get done with, you know, I'm in the, in the round of 16 or whatever, eighth finals before the quarters, I'm walking off the mat, getting called up for the quarters. So I go down, you know, and back then it was a 15 minute minimum, right? So now it's, now it's 20 minutes, but you know, you know, I f you feel like you got about five minutes, right? You go, your, your heart rate's still at 160, 170 as you're coming off the mat. Go down, sit in the sit in the warm up area, sit in the chair, get a little rub down on my legs, you know, drink some water, maybe take a nibble of you know food so you got some nutrition in you, and then uh, you shake it loose and like, okay, we're 
we're we're going again. And then I remember I remember it happening so fast that I wasn't sure if I wrestled the semis. I'm like, I got was coming off after the quarters, which was a barn burner match for me. Garzone in the quarters or Garzone, yeah, yeah. I won the I won the first round. He won the second, and then it was Barnburner third. And I'm like, am I done now? Or do I got one more? They're like, no, no. And then the announcements happened. Like, okay, Zadik USA versus uh, Batira from Belarus. You know, same deal. So you go back down, you come back up, and then boom. And so, yeah, it's it's coming fast and furious and being able to make adjustments and decisions on the fly and and, uh, and, and just keep chipping away, right? Just keep chipping away. And, and so – yeah, it's, it's tough. Well, Coach Zadig, it's been so much fun. I know we've gone way over time. Any last words before we let you go here, sir? Appreciate you having me on. I, I love what you do. It's it's a it's a great thing for our sport to have these conversations, and and you're telling some great stories. So keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Go USA. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life with Bill Zadig. This episode is brought to you by Spartan Combat. Go to SpartanCombat.com to place your custom team apparel order. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and rate the show on Spotify. We'll see you next time on Wrestling Changed My Life.